Hey folks, welcome back. It's a good life, Bay Dog. No do overs. No do overs. You jinxed me on that one. Hey, what now? Come on. Nah, dude. You lost your time. 167. Episode 167. Echo. It's a good life, babe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's good life, babe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans. I'm so glad I'm not always the one to fuck up on this show. <laughs> um, hey, everybody. We've got a very special guest, Holly Hobbs, in the house tonight. Holly, Hello, everybody. what's happening? How are you? Good. How are you? Doing well. Dealing with uh, uh, heat. How are you guys feeling about the summer so far? Like, maybe that's the housekeeping for tonight before we get into <laughs> everything that Holly does. But like, it's I feel not like it's that like, hot yet. Oh, it's but not. It's fucking hot. No, it's hot. It's hot. Is it? No. Yeah. It was a cool summer, a cool, a wet spring. Sorry, and then it just turned immediately hot. Yeah, just like a mm-hmm. yeah overnight flipped. Yeah, yeah. And I don't recall it ever being this hot this early. This feels like July. I know. Yeah, I was going to say it's the summer of climate change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, May was beautiful. Yeah, you guys are you guys especially worried about like, I mean, just massive flooding over the summer and hurricanes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the weather's been so crazy. It seems like it's going to be a terrible hurricane year. I mean, the almanac or someone says that it's not supposed to be, but I don't know. When did they write the almanac? Like in the 1800s? Look, all I know is this, is that we are incredibly complacent about river floods. We just had a flood that eclipsed the 1927 river flood and only because of like all of the uh, historic alterations that they've made to the river throughout the years, you know, that it's able to handle the volume of water that's coming down from up north in the Mississippi River Basin. However, we had this kind of like sort of tropical storm that formed in the Gulf of Mexico and it went ashore in Texas. And a few days ago, we were supposed to get six inches of rain, right? And I'm like, how are we, <laughs> how are we going to weather? This was the day before the Morganza spillway was open last week. The Morganza spillway has only been open three times in the history of its existence and twice within the last decade. Yep. And I think the last time before that was in 1974. And and I was like, I don't see how we can absorb six inches of rain with the river being at the stage that it's at right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, it was like less than a foot and a half from the top of the levee in Baton Rouge. You know, about 10 days ago. Yep. Yeah. So it could be a tough summer. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, my point is that we don't, like, all during this river flooding, we, there was very scant media talking about the danger of the river flooding. Like, if the Mississippi River floods were done, that's, this is something that people need to understand, you know, and that the idea that, um, that this complacency, you know, is within people when there's a, a, a flood of this uh, enormous magnitude. Maybe people don't understand when I say flood. We're not flooding right now, but the river is in flood stage. Well, I'm and from, it has been for weeks now. I'm from Missouri, which is in the heart of the catastrophic flooding zone right now, and most everything's underwater, and all that is moving south. And exactly. It, yeah, it's right. scary. I mean, but it's happening everywhere. Just everything's out of balance. That's how are you, right. How are you people making out up there? We're fine. Yeah, our our farm is up on a hill, but okay. everything else is flooded around it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was an article in the New York Times, an, an opinion piece. Um, Andy Horowitz. Do you know this guy? Mm-hmm. Tulane guy. Yeah. Um, he's writing a book um, about post Katrina life in New Orleans, but 
um, I think it's the the basis is about like the the response to Hurricane Katrina from the government, Army Corps of Engineers, and flood protection and whatnot. And boy, was that not a very um, uh, pleasant Sunday morning read. You know, I immediately emailed him and asked him to come on the podcast. Oh, you did? And he said yeah. he would when the book comes out. Oh, good. Yeah, great. But um, the point being is that like we're approaching a level here in Louisiana where the flood systems, the anti-hurricane flood systems that were put in place after Katrina were done in a very short-term fashion. It wasn't meant to be like a hundred-year solution, you know? And so suddenly the state is, if I'm getting this right, is at risk of losing any ability to get federal insurance for hurricane relief because our protection, our levy system the new levy system that billions of dollars was spent on is no longer potentially very soon no longer adequate to protect the city. Yeah, it's from from the, from the from the hundred year storm, right? Is what they base it on, right? Mm-hmm. But what they want to do, they want you to be protected for five hundred years, you know. And um, but because of the rising waters, suddenly the the levees that we have out in the Gulf aren't high enough. I, I feel like we have a hundred year storm every three or four years. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. <laughs> a new reality. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like like hundred year storm. I'm like, how many can you have? You know, within a ten year period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's increasingly happening in the middle of the country in the mid south is that you don't have you still have your seasons, but you know, I mean, Missouri used to have beautiful springs and falls. You know, I mean, the winter was always bad and the summer was always hot, like here. But spring and fall was lovely. Now all it does is rain. That, really? That's yeah. it. I mean, it's just gray and rains, and then it turns. Really? It's like turned into like this. Turns Pacific into a Northwest. hot drought, and then in the winter, it's just ice for three or four months, right. and then yeah. snows through like May now. It's so crazy. you've seen that like in your lifetime, that mm-hmm. significant change? Not only in my lifetime, in the last to like 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Big changes. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I agree. And I, I think, and the weather patterns here are odd too, you know? So. It's it's a it's like the Gulf isn't ready for this amount of heat this early, mm-hmm. you know. So it doesn't uh, manifest itself in that uh, early to late afternoon everyday rainfall that we get, which is a typical you know kind of like New Orleans monsoon in summertime, like in August and you know, yeah, or even July. in j- late June, July, sure. right? Exactly, but. Um, you know, we had the heat in in May, and it's kind of manifests itself in terms of like a drought. Mm-hmm. You know, like we 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 get drought conditions to me like way more now than we used to. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, you know, long periods without rain, and and then, well, why hasn't the rain every afternoon started yet? Yeah, Here, I don't know. You know, you know I mean, right? it's not doing it. Yet. <laughs> I know it's not doing it yet. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think that those. That kind of uh, recognizable weather pattern thing is one of the things that climate scientists say is, is going to happen going forward. It's just the new normal mm-hmm. that we're all living in, you know. Mm-hmm. But I also read things like Bill Nye, the science guy, right? It, and it's funny. So there's been this reports that have been coming out and it's been making its way into mainstream media about... <clears throat> the alarming state of ecological catastrophe that's you know planet wide and 
and we're on the front lines and and so people politically try to say no it's it's not that bad right on one side of things and on the other side it's like no it is but nobody ever seems to want to say it's upon us now mm-hmm. as we speak except for the, right? the kids say and that so like bill Nye, bill nice the high, said, the high school and he's college like, kids say that he's like no it's 10 it's it's not 50 years away like everyone is saying it's 10 to 15 years i'm like no it's now. No, no, Miami's in trouble like right, right now. Right now, it's having trouble. Right We're now. already in it. But right. I mean, these exactly. are kind of social control talking points right now because sure. you know, people are just quite worried about you know the ramifications of telling people that there is a crisis. You know, right. so you have to bear the social responsibility of freaking people out. You know, and nobody wants to quite go there yet. And then also, there's the idea of like, well, if we say we're fucked now, then you know nobody's going to do anything to change it. So then, you know, it's just so complicated. It is complicated, but yeah, yeah. But I mean, the reality is, is we're probably going to have the worst fire season in California this summer coming up. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, it's going to continue to happen. I mean, I, I. The reality is it's in our face and we're spending a shit ton of money on disaster relief. So, I mean, I'm just looking for a political candidate who will come out and have the, you know, courage or wherewithal to an intellect to say this is happening right now. Let's get out in front of it and let's make it a growth opportunity economically, you know, like a new green deal. And instead of spending money fixing all these problems that are going to continue happening every summer. It's not 15 years from now. It's this summer. You know, it's going to happen in California. We're going to have hurricanes. It's happening now, clearly. Sure. You know? And I just haven't heard anyone say that. That's, no. that's viable. No, no. Like, that's electable. That's running. No, at we just... Federal, had, at a federal right. level. I mean, we, we, we have this river flood. We had the Baton Rouge floods uh, a couple of years ago. We've had... You know, one of the earliest kind of tropical... I think it was named a tropical storm. It was one of the earliest tropical storms in memory. And then, you know, it lasts a month longer. You routinely have uh, named storms that are in November right now, you know, which never happened when I was a kid. I mean, I can say in 20, in 30 years of growing up here in... New Orleans that um, there right. was never a storm in November. I mean, maybe I'm remembering that I'm misremembering like one odd year somewhere, but, um, but it was, uh, it was always done by yeah, October. But to you your know. point, like everything that we learned growing up as kids, like in a 40 plus years of like understanding storms, I grew up in North Carolina. You grew up here, North Carolina had a lot of hurricane action too. None of what we assume storms do applies anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it just doesn't. Yeah. Like even up until Katrina, you were like, oh, you were using that, those old sort of standards. Well, it's either going to cut east to Houston or it's going to, because so many storms right before Katrina had done the last minute, like, you know, curveball. Yeah, the the curve. Either Pensacola or Houston or whatever. Right. And we were kind of used to that. And now it's like a storm is approaching. You're like, oh, it's going to be two days. And it's, it's really eight days because the war, the water is so fucking warm, it just slows down oh. and it just gets bigger. No, that's another and it's thing. It's unlike anything we've ever seen before. And I just, I've, I'm worried. The, the 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 rapid pace of the development of a t- 
tight, low-pressure system with very low millibars in a very short period of time. Even a, a storm that spins up in the Gulf of Mexico you know, within two days now can be you know, deadly. That's another pattern that was like completely... You know, you, you if a storm spun up in the Gulf of Mexico, like say around Cuba, when I was a kid, you could expect maybe it would be a one or a two by the time it made landfall. Mm-hmm. You know, because it just didn't have the time to develop. You know, like you had to be worried about the ones that developed out in the Atlantic. You know, right. that came in on that pattern. You know, yeah, and whatnot. It's not that way anymore. You know, mm-hmm. they can spin up in two or three days and be deadly. That's just the way it is. Right. That's the new normal. Mm-hmm. Well, that was some yeah. doomsday housekeeping. For us <laughs> just the top yeah, I know, but I mean, it's what we're dealing with. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I don't yeah. know. I mean, that's at the front of my mind all the time. It is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like right at the front. Like Literally. My grocery list. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, Am can't, I, you can't, like, you have to think about when you vacation and, like, how's your house going to, like, how does it everything. at the front of your mind? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything from that to, you know, where to invest in properties or mm-hmm. where to, you know, what to even bother putting money in. You know, everything from that to, um, you know, every day it's something different. We're losing a species, you know, anything, anything like that. It's just anything out of balance is deeply affecting on all levels. Yeah. It's true. Do you have plans this summer to travel? Um, I am going back to Missouri, and everything will still be underwater, so at the end of June. And then we were supposed to go to Cuba in July, but thanks, Trump, we're not doing that because now there's the the travel ban. The teaching travel ban, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Yeah. So we can't do that. Um, Freedom. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so those are two, uh, we're going to be fun things that are probably (laughs) either not going to happen or be less fun. And then um, I don't have any other travel until October in Colorado for a yoga teacher training, and then Mozambique in December, January, and that's it. Nice. Yeah. So when you went to Cuba, this Cuba trip, was that with the Prez Hall? Was that supposed to be? It was with Prez Hall people, but it was just Mm -hmm. an unofficial Prez Hall trip. I see. Mm -hmm. Because you've been there. Were you part of the... um, Yeah, we went to Haiti. Cuba to Cuba? No. No. I did not go on that trip, but I went to Haiti with them for Day of the Dead last year, which was amazing. Yeah. What did you guys do over there in Haiti? It was uh, the inaugural Gay Day Fest, which was um, celebrating the relationship between Port-au-Prince and New Orleans, uh, the cultural and historic connection um, between the two. And so Ram had a big, hosted a big festival at the Hotel Olufsen, and Preservation Hall Jazz Band came, and it was a two, I can't remember, two, three-day festival yeah. with wonderful lineups, and we had a great time. Awesome. Yeah. So, Holly, cool. you're an ethnomusicologist, right? I am. That's your that's your deal. What what is that? Um. So, the easiest way to explain it is probably musical anthropology, or yeah. you know, kind of studying why people make music, how culture influences the way people make music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what brought you to New Orleans to study that, or not really. Um. I moved here in 2008. It was just after a breakup, and as a lot of people come, you know, you just kind of flood into the city, and then you don't mm-hmm. necessarily plan on staying, and then things happen, and you do. So <laughs> I, I pretty quickly, though, after I moved here, I was writing grants for Novak and Gene Nathan and some other people, and then I started at Tulane with Nick Spitzer, and then I'd finished my PhD there. Wow, that's a lot of ground to cover. Mm-hmm. So what were your qualifications when you moved here in 2008? Did you... Well, I had had... Um, 
a master's in ethnomusicology from okay. Indiana University, which is kind of the known as the best ethnomusicological institute, Got it. Um, one of the best in the world. And so I came from that, but then immediately after that, I finished that early when I was like 20 or something. And then I moved to Ireland and I was living in Ireland for like eight years. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I spent a lot of time there, um, back and forth between there and Missouri, and I had done um, a lot of kind of cultural and musical work with Irish language stuff in the west of Ireland, um, radio so stuff. Were too. you writing papers and whatnot when you were there? For yeah, I did years? a master's in yeah. um, ethnomusicology slash Irish studies there for the National University of Ireland, Galway. Um, so then, yeah, I guess I have two masters. <laughs> um, and then we moved back to Missouri. <laughs> yeah, then we moved back to Missouri, and then I did. Um, I worked for the Journal of Oral Tradition for a number of years, managing their journal. Um, you know, vetting a lot of academic writing on oral traditions around the world. And then I moved here in 2008, and so I came um, with a lot of professional and non-professional experience in the music world. Yeah. And then I started with Nick Spitzer and then worked for American Roots for a long time, finished the PhD, started the NOLA Hip Hop Archive in 2012. That became a big deal and now it's formally closed, but um, it's still, you know, very active. People can come and view the materials either in person or on the internet or anywhere in the world. And yeah, so, so how do you go from and an prior to 2008 to doing the Irish music studies to coming to New Orleans and doing a hip-hop archive. How, do, how, do, how does that work? Is that just your sensibility? Yeah, I mean, I don't particularly care about genre whatsoever. I do care mm. about being able to hear where the musician is from and the, musician, mm. and the music that they make. I don't like music that you can't. Re- I mean, with with exceptions, I don't. I'm, I don't gravitate toward music that doesn't feel like it has a strong root to somewhere. So, do you like Radiohead? I mean, like, sure, but in like, a different where is that way. Music? Where are they from? You know, I mean, it still comes from you know yeah. his his weird little mind of a you know, and you can tell sure. what era it comes from at least. You yeah, know, yeah. it's that's what I mean. It has to have some root. It has to have some grounding in you know, an era or a place or a thing or whatever, you know, for me to gravitate toward it. It's like kind of a, you know, a a balloon tie. It has to come down to the ground somewhere and that's at the ground, that's where I'm interested. That's a good analogy. So the hip hop archive then, you just, you came here and was it New Orleans Bounce at first or was it, or Um, was it the, I, I always did more of the rap side, but of course, you know, I mean, bounce and rap, they're fluid here. Every, every music musical form here is fluid. And so, you know, making boundaries is, is um, problematic. But yeah, we called it rap and bounce. So the New yeah. Orleans rap and bounce hip hop archive. Um, yeah, I mean, any kind of roots music that speaks to the place it's from is something that's of interest to me. And so, uh, you know, I don't really see any difference between the music I was studying in Ireland and, you know, the rap that I was studying here. It all kind of blends together in a form of social and cultural expression. I see. Uh, you mean you could make a similar sort of <clears throat> relationship to, like, how food and culture sure. work together. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any kind of cultural output like that. And then, so, <clears throat> you went from there, and your NPR gig, that started with Spitzer. No, um, that was separate. Um, I finished at American Roots and finished um, 
Well, no, I, I guess I was working in American Roots for a couple years after I finished my PhD. And then um, I just kind of organically started at WWNO because there was a, a friend of ours, Jason Saul, who previously worked for American Roots. He had left American Roots and went to WWNO. When he went to go to Portland to be the managing director of Bird Talk, Mm. Then he left his position, and there was a position to fill, and then I came in to fill it. Nice. Yeah, so it kind of just organically happened. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a wonderful job. I love working for NPR. WWNO is extraordinary. and Yeah, I mean, it's not a lane that I ever thought I would be in. It's corporate development, you know. Yeah, every, what's the day-to-day like? Uh, well, I work from home. So, yeah, nice. so that allows me to take on lots of different contracts that I would not normally be able to do. And then also, you know, when I was right after I finished my PhD and I was on the job market looking around taking a lot of interviews so many of the people I interviewed with and places I interviewed with were very restrictive on the kind of contracts I could take what I was going to be writing what you know what I could produce and you know I mean I worked hard in order to have a certain amount of freedom not the other way around yeah Yeah. totally and I mean they're just absolutely non-restrictive they you know they allow me to take whatever contract I might be interested in you know pursue my interests outside of the radio station I mean yeah it's extraordinary so and you probably bring a lot of value back to them because of those Relationships, I assume. I'd like it's to think so. It's all sort of synergistic, kind mm-hmm. of, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they. I, I would imagine they wouldn't do it if it didn't work for them. But yeah, I mean, it's it's corporate development. So, um, you know, it's certainly nothing I ever thought I would do. But I mean, again, this is not a big corporation. I'm not working for Walmart. This is NPR. You know, so I yeah. mean, it's it's still in fitting with my sensibilities. Yeah. So corporate development is like. <clears throat> It's all underwriting because, Got it. yeah, so what would normally be marketing in the public radio world is underwriting. Sure. Same thing. So you're finding partners to underwrite and fund yeah. what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's probably, a, it's probably not an easy sell once you find the right folks to pitch, right? It's quite an easy sell for the most part. Yeah, 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 because our our prices are reasonable. And again, it's NPR. I mean, like, who doesn't like NPR? Exactly. NPR is like... Well, I mean, you're making that face. Yes, there's a lot of people who don't like NPR, but generally speaking, people with reasonable sensibilities like NPR, so. Exactly. No. (laughs) (laughs) You did make a face. You kind of have a nice NPR voice, too. Oh, yeah, well. Like Terry Gross voice, kind of. Oh, well, that's exciting. (laughs) (laughs) She's my hero. I love her. Sweet. So, Uh, speaking of contracts, um, you and I... Um, met because you have a contract with Sound Diplomacy. Yeah, yeah. so um, the NOMI, or I think they're calling it NOME uh, initiative, uh, was started with GNO Inc. and Iberia Bank and a number of different partners. And they hired an outside European firm, Sound Diplomacy, to do a, basically what's called a music audit for New Orleans. So they come in and they do a whole year of research. And um, I was hired by, well, I was put up for the job by the GNO side and hired by Sound Diplomacy to be their kind of New Orleans consultant throughout the process. Right. So it's my job to kind of, you know, weigh in on uh, cultural authenticity and um, to, you know, try to give my two cents about how to best direct the project to make sure everybody's voices are included. And if anybody out there would like to know more about it, they can, you can just Google Sound Diplomacy New Orleans, I forget the exact URL. And there's actually a survey that's available right now. And if you scroll down the page, you can click and it says take the survey. 
and it's um, you know open to anybody who's living in the greater New Orleans area and has anything to say about the musical economy here feel free to go and do that yeah so that stands for uh, New Orleans music economy Noam and um, yeah I, I checked out the survey earlier before coming over here and it is for it's for mu- music fans um, it's for musicians it's for music managers the entire industry you know um, but you guys are trying to get data points correct am I correct in that like is the idea that there's like a metric my here's my like loose understanding of what and this came from some early conversations I had with the folks at Sound Diplomacy because we shared and same uh, shared workspace above the CAC so I had some like some side conversations with those guys and my understanding was that it was like it's going to be data driven and hopefully it'll allow um, financial institutions like Iberia or governmental um, offices like Cantrell's office to take this data and affect change Mm -hmm. whether that's from the financial side it's like making it easier to get a loan for recording an album or whatever or you know um, and, and you know any or like you know bringing businesses to town that the Cantrell office would try to bring music business industry into the fold here mm-hmm. because we have data that shows how it is economically viable mm-hmm. is that kind of what you think they're getting at yeah pretty well, much yeah mm-hmm. in a nutshell mm-hmm. yeah. so it's yeah so it's it's objective not subjective is the idea correct yeah so what do you, what are the sort of data points you guys are well again it's not my data point so I my only the, role yeah. in the project and the only thing I can speak on is being a consultant a you know a cultural community consultant I don't know what my exact title is but something associated with community consultant hooking them up with the right people Right. So the only thing I can speak to is, um, you know, trying to make sure that um, a a good range of demographics are represented and that um, the most amount of people that can possibly be heard from are heard from to make sure that the data is accurate and well-rounded. Yep. And that's all I can say. How's How's it going so far? Yeah, good. Um, you know, I mean, it's difficult, you know, I mean, New Orleans is complicated, and it's it's very hard to get people to um, be involved and buy into something, especially when outsiders are running it, you know, and so that's difficult. <clears throat> but um, I would urge everybody to take the survey because what happens, unfortunately, if, you know, let's say um, like a large majority of poor musicians of color are not involved in the survey the unfortunate part is you know this data is going to be skewed right. and that that's not you know because this data will actually be fairly well available and will probably be cited fairly often in the near future right and so you know it's really important that we that we try to make sure everybody's voices are heard and how are you guys going about that um, well, not easily, um, because like I said, there's, a, you know, in New Orleans, um, it, like in so many places around the world, 
there's a reticence to share your information with outsiders and you know and I absolutely respect that and that's just something that I'm not willing to try to you know entice people to change either if they don't feel comfortable sharing their information then don't share your information I'm not ever going to encourage anybody to do that but at the same time trying to make um people more aware of the project and understand that it is just about data you know at the end of the day um you know i I think that's the best we can do to try to get more people to take the survey and have their voices heard yeah joel is the idea behind some of this as you understand it that new orleans could potentially have a more permanent record business or that we could have a more integrated public policy as regards our musical culture in new orleans like what how do you understand the the impetus behind some of the things that we're seeing i don't know i mean speaking for myself um i would hope that something like what you guys are endeavoring on with new orleans music economy and what other folks are trying to do as well we've talked about this on the podcast ad nauseum jeff you know, it's a damn shame that Nashville, like, respects its its music industry and we don't here, right? For me, for for me, that's the watershed thing. It's like you know, you get off the the plane in Nashville and like their airport's a freaking like music museum, you know. Um, and in New Orleans, we don't have really, you know, we have some recording studios, but we we don't have publicists. We don't have we don't have so many things that go into the music business and so what I hope is that agency there will be there's agency through public policy and as well as financial institutions that are willing to put money into it and you know at that meeting I felt bad because we kind of hijacked that this one um, meeting that I went to with my business partner and kind of sidetracked this issue about publishing rights and but um one, at some point, someone said, well, you know, if you had a magic wand, what would you do? And for me, it's like, you know, take the municipal auditorium and make it a music incubator. And that's not a new idea. I didn't come up with that, you know, but it's like. But it's, I mean, it's shocking that it's sitting there empty. It's shocking. And they're sitting on like close to $40 million, $44 million, I want to say, and like FEMA funds that still are unused. So it just takes, and I, apparently my understanding is that the Cantrell administration or any mayoral administration could make that happen or could decide the fate of that building and how those funds are used. And so hopefully my hope to your question, Jeff, is data that these guys are accumulating makes it easy for Cantrell to go and sell it to the public, Mm -hmm. right? And say, okay, based on this data, this is how much money New Orleans is making because of our music industry. We need to lean into it and not just regulate or regulate our, uh, our our music to second lines and and street buskers and all the things that make all the tourists happy. We need to embrace and lean into the music industry here because jazz was born here, and Municipal Auditorium is right next to Congo Square where jazz was born, and lean into it. Yeah, it seems like a very. That's what I hope. It seems like a very obvious idea. Yeah, you know, for a town like New Orleans and with an empty building that belongs to the city. 
Mm-hmm. You know? As opposed, <laughs> but I mean, like, New Orleans is full of uh, obvious answers and obvious ideas, sure, you know, and yeah. it's just nothing ever ever materializes, and no. that's what's so frustrating for so many of us who live here. Um, but at the same time, you know, you have these competing issues because at the same time you are aware of these glaring deficiencies, but at the same time you don't want to also fall on the other side of you know corporatize trying attempting to corporatize you know true living culture um yeah, which that's, often that's when right. you're often when you're trying to create development that that's what people do well that that's one of the things that resides in the back of my mind when we talk about quote unquote having a real music industry in new orleans i'm like do you want it to make crappy music then because mm-hmm. i mean because when we're talking about nashville you know like that's that's the price well, you yeah, know, of I mean, success in the United States on that level. And you know, I would urge, I, and there are many, uh, many of us, we all know them, there are many people in town who, you know, want to make New Orleans the new Nashville in terms of the music industry. But, you know, I would urge anybody who says that to reconsider. Um, you know, we, we, the only thing we should want is to make New Orleans a better New Orleans. Yes, I agree. Not a that's new right. Nashville. That's yeah. just ridiculous. I mean, right. Nashville is conformist and commercial and all the things that New Orleans is not. New Orleans is the last true, you know, natural place that hasn't been just flattened by corporations in the U.S. Right. I mean, that's that true. should be absolutely right. protected, first right. and foremost, amongst everything. But I agree completely. Yeah. And, 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 but, but, like, we had a, we had a Landry administration that was looking to push we have to like and this is what's great about MACNO and like advocates in this community that are having to push back against there was a wave that was happening during the Landrieu administration which was let's shut down clubs and neighborhoods and let's push all the music into the French Quarter it's happening again and and it's a constant it comes in waves yeah right and so we have to um it's not just that we're trying to be proactive, we're also having to fight against um, forces that literally, you know, might decimate or, you know, snuff out like our street culture and our music culture. I mean, I know that sounds kind of severe, but it's like, if you don't have, if you don't have music incubators, like, you know, in neighborhoods, and you don't have, if it's just about this Disneyland or the French Quarter, then our culture goes away. I mean, yes and no. I mean, the the culture is strong enough that if you give people a living wage and you have affordable housing, musicians will, for the most part, be able to continue what they're doing. It's just that we we everything is moving away from that possibility you know yeah. I mean every day living wage seems to get further and further and the far field and every day the prices of housing go up that's the stuff that's going to kill it the quickest yep I mean yeah and then you're talking about noise ordinances and all the other crap that's just horrid no but you're but, right those two fundamental like things are the thing that like it's like when Jay Mazza came on the show and we were like what's the thing that's changed at the second line from 20 years ago to today and he was like all the cars I was like what do you mean he was like well all the people participating in the second line don't live here anymore because mm-hmm. they had to move to the east yeah that's a problem mm-hmm. no that's a big problem and you know you and I have talked about it also that like one of the like agency from the standpoint of even 
musicians who are i mean look we have a convention and visitors New Orleans the company in, is in, call it now. industry here in yeah. New Orleans and music, met with them musicians morning. make a, a certain segment of musicians in this town make a, a healthy part of their living off of uh, events that come as a result of that but as you and I have discussed ad infinitum there's a the competition for pricing is a downward spiral instead mm-hmm. of an upward one mm-hmm. and agency changes that Equation, you would hope, right? I mean, yeah. that's the entire purpose of agency in the end, right? Is to represent people so that you can drive the price up in a very base way. Keep people working, represent them, drive the prices up so that they can make a living and agents can make a living as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we st- you know we don't have that. <laughs> we don't have an infrastructure for that here. You're kind of working on that right now. In a, in a small way, Joel, and but that that to me is something that's always been missing, you know. And I've related to you anecdotal stories of people who've tried to drive the price down to the bottom, and not only, you know, like sad, sad stories about about people who are willing to do things because they don't necessarily know. If you're performing all the time, you don't know necessarily what somebody in St. Louis, some corporation in St. Louis is used to paying, mm-hmm. right, for a band that's based out of Atlanta that does all cover tunes, you know, that has 10 members in it and charges $30,000 every it's time like they get on a plane. Tower of power. Like, you don't understand necessarily that because we have a we have an, kind of an insular community here in New Orleans and I'm not, it's, I don't want to suggest that people aren't, aware of that but there's there's something in the way of being aware of it and asserting it um such that people whoever is representing the gig understands that it's not threatening to these large corporate interests to charge them a lot of money mm-hmm. it's not threatening to them right they are they are absolutely used to it what typically happens to them is that they come here and they're shocked by the value of the entertainment that they get for the price that they're paying. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. And and to me, like what we want to do is like take that shock out, out, of, the out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like we don't want, you know, let them just pay what they pay in other, because, in other places. Well, yeah, but, but I mean that shock translates specifically to exploitation because, Absolutely. you know, it, if yeah. they move from like, oh my God, look at all the stuff we can get for so cheap. I know. Then what, right. do you, what do you think you do in the rest of your time here, you know? So, or, you know, what do you do when you bring your corporate friends or all, all that stuff? Oh, I've, seen, I've yeah. seen also like once the price gets set, you know, once the plane lands on the tarmac, mm-hmm. then the people that are representing it from the event planning side are like, oh, that's the way that it is. So then they start dealing in that price range. Yeah. You know, and, and so like that's why it's so important to not let that happen, you know, right mm-hmm. out of the gate. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be a higher price no matter what, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's one thing that, uh, that we talk about on the show all the time is like there definitely needs to be an impetus in this town to just drive the price up, mm-hmm. you know, just whatever. I mean, you might lose a few gigs here and there, you know, but there has to be a collectivized incentive to drive prices up for musical entertainment in the city of new orleans yeah yeah i work on on that every day 
<coughs> yeah. I mean, one of my uh, right, one of my right, clients right. is playing a, a corporate gig at Acme Oyster right now, and just texts me that everything's going fine. But like, I've gone through this process of going back to clients, people who have done purchase orders with some of my the, artists. Yeah, clients, the downward spiral. Some of the buyers, and and I've like doubled the pricing on everything. You know, um, but I've tried to. You know, I've lost some, but I've ma- maintained quite a few. You know, buyers. And it's it's just about selling authenticity and and um, real New Orleans music and you know it's a fine line to walk to not be condescending towards someone when you're talking to them about that and make them feel bad mm-hmm. you know but you also want them to want to contribute to the culture that they care about because that's why they're here mm-hmm. you know whether it's a destination wedding or uh, a corporate shoe gig which is what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. right, so. right. <laughs> which is which is not to say that like we want everybody to just play those gigs all the time, you know. Like we understand what corporate gigs are, but I mean everybody makes their money from doing one thing or another as a musician, you know. I mean, even as a semi-professional musician myself, I was thinking about this earlier today. I was like, I've played every kind of gig that's available in the city of New Orleans, except for the stroll around. Mm-hmm. I have not done the stroll around What's ever. What's stroll around? That the brunch stroll around, you know, where you have the banjo and you stroll around the, the room. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like Mariachi, you, the you know, around. but it's the New Orleans version. So it's a bucket list now for you? Well, <laughs> well my friend Matt <laughs> mentioned it, and I had never heard it like put that way the other day. He's a, he's a guitarist, and he was like, Jeff, I had to do the stroll around the other day, you know. And I was like, oh, the stroll where you walk around. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I mean, you know, everybody's got to do that on, on a certain level if you're a certain kind of musician, you know. I'm not saying everyone, you know. I mean, there are, we have instances of, of people in, in the city who have uh, jumped on the kind of like pop music bandwagon and have had pretty good success recently you know we had tank and the bangers on the podcast and yeah uh, and we've talked to other they were a little bit of a unicorn probably you know would you think would you say so holly what be their success yeah they were a bit of a unicorn i mean you know in terms of new orleans musician trajectory it's just right time right place you know and just it's one of those things i mean same with frida like sometimes things just hit and they hit big and it just i don't know that you if you could well, like Frida, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think you could ever create the storm that created Total. those kinds of acts again. You know, it just has to be organic. Pell is another one. Pell has gotten pretty well known in recent years. He's another one. I mean, he's been in the trajectory forever. He's worked for a really long time, but then he just really blew up a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, and has gotten quite well known. I mean, we have endless, endless, you know, uh, yeah endless musicians here and endless sure. people who are doing extraordinary things but yeah every once in a while somebody will hit big yes unexpectedly and it's always really cool it's fun very much so even like what is and 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 you know big is a relative thing as well you know because i mean i would say tank and the bangers are big right yeah but press hall is big press hall is big yeah right exactly but but again, not Nashville big, mm-hmm. you know, like the kind of the kind of stuff that they're producing there. And I'm not saying that that's where we want to be again, <laughs> you, right. you know, like, do we want to be there? I don't know. Maybe the members of the bands do, you know. So in, know. in terms of revenue for artists, uh, musicians, um, it sounds like from the meeting that I attended from the New Orleans music economy was there was a there's a big focus on publishing. Yeah. I mean, this this project's whole focus is IP. 
Um, so, you know, that that's what they're trying to focus on um, very specifically. So trying to um, figure out ways to get <clears throat> people more money from their music. Yeah. Um, and in every way, they're trying to... Um, yeah, brainstorm, think through these options. So publishing to, for commercials, movies, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything yeah. across the board in terms of mailbox money for IP, yeah. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. which is kind of overwhelming for a lot of musicians to like f- figure that. Sure, sure, uh, but then, um, you know, and that in itself is a really laudable goal because, I mean, New Orleans has such a history of, um, you know, just handshake deals and stuff and sure. people not getting their, you know, not getting their papers right. Um, sure. Yeah. And, you know, so that's one thing that really could benefit, um, you know, musicians here having, you know, continuous free classes about how to do all this stuff, the business of music, um, you know, just very introductory classes um, that could be held, you know, monthly bi-weekly or whatever another thing um nomi isn't doing this but another thing that i think would be very very helpful is financial literacy for musicians um so just like we have the new orleans musicians clinic let's have the new orleans financial literacy clinic where you know people come in and on a pro bono um experience and they have they teach people about credit scores and about all the different stuff and help them clean up their money. Sure. From sure. the ground up. And, yeah. you know, do I. Taxes. Taxes. I, I honestly do not think that that's such a heavy lift to try to get, you know, some CPAs in there, like donating, you know, an hour per week of their time and have 100 CPAs do that and have, you know, a revolving sign up list for musicians for free to help get their stuff in order. And that's not already happening as far as you know, like from Jazz and Heritage Foundation or anyone else? I mean, forgive me if it's already happening. I don't know of it. Yeah. I haven't heard of it either. Yeah. And but I mean, I'm, like I'm much more out of the loop, you know, in the last couple of years, I've been much more out of the loop than I used to be. I used to be much more involved and um, kind of pulled away and doing my own thing these days and much more kind of heavily involved in my own music and yoga and all this other stuff. But, um, but yeah, as far as I know, no. Yeah. And, um, you know, and microfinance. Microfinance is another thing that could be just absolutely like, look, New Orleans is a third world country. We are in the global south. This is a developing world. What helps in the developing world context most of all? Microfinance. And so I know yeah. I'm going to make a joke, but I think I know what you're talking about. To me, microfinance is like this morning when I have to go to a meeting to the New Orleans Convention Bureau or whatever. I gotta throw my bike on the bus. And microfinance to me is like finding, like spending ten, 10 minutes while on the phone, so I'm being productive, finding a dollar twenty-five of coins. Mm-hmm. Like, that's microfinance to me. <laughs> that's a good. Like, take it on. But you that's probably, like, you probably. Let me extend be, that uh, anecdote you, a little bit probably. in the metaphor there, and uh, bring yeah, it into qu- the real world a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not quite what I'm talking about. It's not quite. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, imagine a scenario where you could, I mean, you could cap it at $100. Um, but, you know, somebody whose, you know, monitor just broke or, you know, their pedal just broke or their whatever, they don't have enough money. So, I mean, like most of my musicians. 50 bucks to fix your bike. Yes, I mean, yeah. something you could do. I mean, and of course, with musical instruments, you're talking about a little bit more money. But I mean, I still think, you know, you could cap it at a certain very nominal amount and you could really change people's 
realities. Totally. No, I told I totally. I think mean, because that. I'm I'm you know I have so many musicians and friends in my orbit who you know like oh shit a speaker broke so let me and spend then, the next right. four hours driving around calling everybody I know trying to find a speaker trying to make sure everything and then you know then owing them a favor and the energy that I put out in the world totally. for owing them a favor absolutely and then being nervous that somebody's going to knock over the stupid speaker right and I'm have to bring it back to my friend broken. La 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 la. I mean, on just, and on. Yeah, I mean, and so the cumulative effect of the amount of energetic stuff that you lose by you know running around constantly trying to fix these tiny problems that could really, really be fixed with a very small amount of money. You know, I mean, two hundred fifty bucks could get your like windshield replaced and your brake tag done, so that you can drive to your gig. Yeah, and I mean, again, it doesn't I mean, even have to be limited to, you know, I mean, if we're talking about the New Orleans Musicians Clinic for health, you know, if we're talking about musicians health and we're really trying to be holistic about it, that is if my windshield breaks and I can't drive to my gig here, you know, here is a way to have, you know, and I don't know how that system will work. Leave it to experts to figure that out. But, you know, I do know that microfinance is something that could absolutely help. And I do know that financial literacy is absolutely needed on all levels. Yeah, I, I, yeah. And it can be, it could be anything, you know, it could be just some crazed tourist spilling their beer on your gear. Right. You know, right. and then you're, and you're done. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, and I, mean, I mean, if you depend on electronics, you know, you're you're done after that. Yeah, like those you, are the margins. Then you have to you have to like get on the phone, start borrowing things from friends, you know, because you got another gig like tomorrow, and you got to repiece everything together. It doesn't sound the same, you mm-hmm. know. Then your band leader's not happy with you because things don't sound the same, you know. Like there's there's all kinds of expectations that are tied in with that. And speaking as a business person myself, it's you just don't have large large scale and even medium scale and smaller scale banks all of them they they have no interest whatsoever in this range that we're talking about here mm-hmm. you know like there is no interest at all in anything like even it's you know i would say from the 0 to $20,000 range you know like there's nothing mm-hmm. available there's no product yeah, available I mean- to help yeah, and if, I mean, if I was talking to a business person or something and I said something like that, they would be like, oh, God, you know, like, where does it end? Like, how would you possibly start? Like, mm. yeah. So all you have to do is just pick a place, like pick, you know, pedals or something and like do the uh, New Orleans yeah. pedal project. And, you know, here's $50, like, you know, here's to help you with your new pedal, whatever. I mean, just sure. start somewhere. Yeah, yeah, Instead totally. of, I mean, it, yes, it's a huge problem, but we don't say the same thing about health, do we? And, you know, I mean... And yet, and still, I, I've never been able to wrap my head around it, you know, all of this, you know, complex web of algorithms that are supposed to determine, like, whether or not you're, you're a viable and trustworthy uh, recipient of a loan. And, uh, you know, you wind up with, like, a dip in dots, you know, on Esplanade or something like that, you know. And it's just, I mean, things that are just, like, obviously not good ideas get bankrolled all the time because they're above that threshold well, of I mean, 20000 to 50000 or 100000 or, or beyond or something like that. And they're just not ideas that are ever going to take, they're, they're not going to germinate. These are ideas that are already in place that are going to, that have people who are, working with the items that we're talking about and need the money that we're talking about and are incentivized to pay it back. 
And I mean, yes, things are much more complicated than than they appear as always, and things are location specific. But I mean, if you look at the data from Finca, if you look at the microloan data across the world, the return on these investments, the return on the loans is very high. Of course you have, yeah, of course you have people who are gonna run off with the money, of course. But, you know, for the most part, I mean, there's endless studies to back this stuff up. There's endless statistics that we can use to support this, you know, we're talking about 50, 100, $200, you know, so, yep. Yeah, like the default rates are probably you know, similar to or better than, mm-hmm. right, what they normally are. Exactly. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. exactly. Because you're yeah. truly helping. I mean, you know, somebody's not going to forget that you really helped them out of a bind. Sure, that's right. I mean, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of like it's a wonderful life model. I mean, yeah, but but the data backs it up. I mean, you know, it's a wonderful yeah. life. It's kind of Pollyanna, and, you know. I mean, it's sweet and whatever. But like, you don't have to do the. You there don't was have loyalty to, from that. You don't have to care about doing the right thing. All you have to right. see is the data. I mean, even if you don't care about doing the right oh. thing at all, you can look at the data and know that this is a good investment. It's like Terminator. Yeah. It's like Terminator meets. It's a wonderful life. Yeah, it's not just backed. Cool. Up, it's not backed up. By no, us. just like stone cold data. <laughs> Backed by sentimentality. No, so it's like if Jimmy Stewart were like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And he was the Terminator. That'd be fucking funny. You're going, you're really going, you're going going way into these metaphors here. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There is a new Terminator movie coming out, by the way. Starring Jimmy Stewart giving out microloans. Linda Hamilton is in it, by the way, who owns a house in Algiers. Needs 75. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Does she really? This is what I've heard. I've heard that Linda Hamilton owns a house in Algiers. Yeah. Is that right? Look, this is what I've heard. Okay, so I can't verify yeah, it. So if anybody out there wants to write into the podcast and let us know, you know, if you're neighbors with Michael Linda Hamilton, Patrick Mike, Welch. Michael Patrick Welch, if you're out there, you might want to like <laughs> confirm or deny the case that Linda Hamilton's like hanging out at the, you know, at the Old Point Bar, maybe, you know, and <laughs> after hours. I bet she looks that. the same. The old point bar? No, I bet she looks the same. <laughs> she looks the same. Well, I mean, she's a bit older now, but yeah. She, she still has the same, like, But guns. she seems to be, like, one of those people who would just pretty much look the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think physique-wise, she's, mm-hmm. uh, she's looks like she'll, you know, still, like, uh, punch a hole through a brick. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, anyway, I'm totally getting off... Uh, topic there. Sorry, that was my fault. <laughs> yeah. uh, went and saw Godzilla yesterday. Speaking of gigantic, you know, colossal commercial. Was stuff. it awful? Yeah. Well, uh, I'll just say this: that Godzilla gets a close up at one point, which mm-hmm. is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Good. I don't think there's ever been a monster. Was close that up. the was that the wor- the, the uh, worth admission? Like that, that one shot for me. Yeah. Being a graduate of a film school was uh, it was sweet, and also because uh, my buddy, well, Corey Fortune joined yeah. us for it, and uh, he and I went to film school together at UNO, and you know, it was so obvious. It was it was such an obvious and totally the the context of the shot had nothing to do like just imagine a monster never gets shot this is so tangential so it was a total is, vanity <laughs> shot it was a vanity shot it was a had fucking vanity shot the of the monster right it's like the <laughs> you monster never you never you didn't get a get vanity that. shot of alien that the would have mo- been sweet it was it was a centered 
framed up with the monster in the center. Yes. The, the monster recovers from some, you know, fight where it gets its butt kicked, you know, and they right. have to revive it and get it back going. And then they just frame it up. And it's a close-up, you know, where the monster's like, ah, okay, ready to fight. You know, like, that just doesn't happen, you know. it's <laughs> You don't get that. You know? No. Yeah. Night of the Living Dead, you don't have that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen. I hear you. It happened in the Godzilla movie. The latest one. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, all right. Well, um, so uh, what else are we going to talk about here, Joel? You know, I, I, it would be remiss if we had this podcast and we didn't mention some of the things that have transpired in the last week. So we've we've this has been a rough week culturally for the city of New Orleans. Um, we lost Leah Chase, the world-renowned chef, cultural icon. Uh, we lost Dr. John, world-renowned musician, cultural icon. We also lost, on a more local level, Spencer Boren, uh, just in the last day. And then today, uh, Little Buck Senegal as well, um, it's from, uh, you know, Cajun culture, Zydeco. And, um, you know, losing that many people, uh, these are all terrific people who have... Uh, in their longevity contributed mightily to uh, the culture of Southern Louisiana and New Orleans. And, uh, you know, it just, the hits just keep coming and uh, it's been, it's been a tough week. Um, But uh, Leah Chase got a hell of a send off uh, today. Yeah. And uh, it remains to be seen. Um, The interment for Dr. John is forthcoming. I think that's probably going to be a more private affair. They just had a very large second line last week that was organized by Kermit Ruffins um, in the shorthand, as it were, and uh, very quickly. And then tonight, right now, as we speak, there is a uh, thrown-together piano um, tribute to Dr. John that's taking place at the Mother-in-Law Lounge as we speak. And I just want to say also that kudos to... Kermit for keeping the mother in lounge, mother in law lounge going right. all these years. You know, I mean, uh, it was uh, it was touch and go for a while. You know, is it going to survive? Is it going to make it um, after Antoinette passed years ago? And uh, so they're keeping it going. And events like these uh, are, are are important to the cultural fabric of New Orleans. And um, so we'll find, uh, Spencer Bourne and Little Buck Senegal are more recent, um, just in the past day. So uh, when we find out information about um, about those proceedings, we will let you know online on Twitter and uh, on our Facebook posts as well at It's a Good Life, Babe. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans. And uh, we're at about uh, pushing an hour right now yeah so maybe we want to wrap it up and uh, see if there's any uh, final plugs that anybody wants to give out there holly do you want to um again share that june 30th date for the survey um they may extend it if they don't have enough um people involved to take the survey they may extend for a couple weeks but as far as i know it's still up until then um so the easiest way is if you just google uh sound diplomacy new orleans and um the url will come up and then you scroll down the page and it has a link that says take the survey now or something and you can just click on that and go right to it cool Mm -hmm. anything else you have to plug 
Um, let's see. Um, oh, I don't know. Preservation Hall is doing some really cool stuff these days. Um, WWNO, we are kind of working on um, getting more involved in music stuff, and you're going to see more exciting things coming oh, really? from us pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Anything you can uh, give us a tease on? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this, this summer or the fall? Or? Yeah, in the fall. Yeah. In the fall. Nice. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, some, some there's really wonderful work always happening in New Orleans, and yeah, we hope that anybody can always come here and, and have a fulfilling trip. And so, when you go to Missouri this summer um, and go up on the hill on your farm, do you actually like work at all, or is it just totally vacation? I do, but the internet is uh, shady. Well, I mean, do you work on the farm at all? Is it an oh, active farm? that kind of farm. It used to be, and no, um, no, it's more of an acreage now. It's Got more it. of just 100 acres of um, kind of like a nature preserve. Yeah. yeah. It's like multi-generational sort of thing. Um, well, my dad got it in the 60s, so I mean, it's been nice. around for, but you know, I mean, the, the farm it, as it is now has existed for, you know, a couple hundred years or something. Ever thought about doing some uh, music programming on the farm? Oh, I'd love to. Are yeah. there people around there that would come? Um, yeah, we still have some really neat stuff happening. This is outside of Columbia. I'm from Columbia, Missouri, so it's outside of Columbia. And there's still play parties, you know. I mean, I grew up with old time and bluegrass and lots of yeah. early country stuff. Um, lots of jazz, too. My grandfather was a jazz pianist in Kansas City. Really? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Um, but, yeah, they still organize play parties and different yeah. things for old time um, around town. So, yeah. That'd be fun to do something on the property. Sure, yeah. Yeah, you should yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We should do that sometime soon, but yeah, that's And it. Jeff, here's what you should do. Yeah, what should I do? <laughs> Go see some more monster movies. <laughs> I'm stoked about the Jim Jarmusch zombie movie, Go by the way. Go me, too. Yeah. Yes, do everybody it. is, right? That's yeah. the only movie I'm going to see in the theater all summer. Oh, it's going to be so... One. It just looks great. Oh, I'm going yeah. to see that in Downton Abbey. Those are my two for Downton the Abbey mm-hmm. movie. There's yes, a Downton Abbey movie. movie. Mm-hmm. Theatrical release? And I don't even care like? that much about Downton Abbey, but at this point, we need so much escapism. Like, it, just, totally it has do. to we happen. Do. Just we do. sign me up. I will go see that movie <laughs> in a second. <laughs> you, see? you see, this is what Great Game of Thrones should have done, right? They should have had a big movie that ended the whole thing. Exactly. And right? wrapped it up the mm-hmm. right way. Mm-hmm. You know? You made a mistake there, HBO. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay, um, I don't really... I've, uh, Green Demons has another has a gig later on this uh, month. Um, I can't even recall the date off the top of my head, but we'll let you know at another on another podcast as the date approaches. Ego Jubilee just in the suburb doldrums, as it were, right now, and uh, that's it. I don't have anything else to plug. I'm fooling around with my pedal board, I'm hoping to get some microloans. You know, <laughs> we're trying to put things together. I'll see what we can do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, folks. I need, it's, a, yeah, go ahead. Ahead. Right. I need a micro. You need a micro for, like, for what? I don't know. Like my TikTok, my cat care, maybe. I don't your know. Your cat care for your cat's uh, Instagram. Don't get me started. That stuff is so expensive. Dude, it is horrible. super expensive. Awful. Dude, I need no. a micro loan for that shit. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll help out and adopt this cat. I'm like, fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to Bonnaroo. Oh, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. Right. Not as a performer. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I'll be there, and it's the uh, the last year that the Superfly guys are going to be involved. So, right, um, it'll be one hell of a send off, I guess. Huh. I'm not looking forward to it at all. We're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who wants to be in that mess with all that heat and the bullshit and the maybe shit? Maybe Maybe we just need to Skype. You know, and and, and do something. <laughs> we might like just that, Skype you know, in order to make a podcast. I'm just happen too for old for this shit. I just don't, yeah. Like, right. dude, when we first did it like 12 years, 13, 14 years ago or whatever, it was fun. 
but like we had purpose now i'm like going without purpose yeah yeah i understand that not happy about it yeah i know i know it's because we're old yep (laughs) but i'm sure i'll have moments of fun hanging out with our boys you started the whole thing. You'll be at the front of house. You'll get into the front of house. I'll get into the front of house. Soundboard. If you don't get into the front of house soundboard thing, then of course, oh, it's the, just well, going to be a disaster. No, I definitely will. Do that. I definitely will. That won't be a problem. Okay. Okay, folks. It's a goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel Stales from New Orleans. We want to thank Holly Hobbs for coming on the show. Thank Thanks, you. Holly. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. And uh, we will catch up with you next time. Yeah, you're right. <laughs>